scripture reading this morning is taken from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 20 through 24. <clears throat> That's Ephesians 4, 20 through 24. I'll be reading from the New King James Version, and if you'd like to follow along in the Pew Bible, it is located on page 1040. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have, you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us this morning, again, we welcome you. Thank you so much for being with us this morning. And to each of you mothers, we offer a sincere and hearty Happy Mother's Day. You know, I've thought for quite some time, I don't understand why on our birthdays that we receive the gifts and we receive the attention when really on our birthdays ought to be the day that our mothers receive the gifts and attention because they're the ones that went through all that for us to be born. They dealt with the growth inside their body and the day of labor and then the many days after that of bringing us into adulthood. And I'm a slow learner, but it struck me this morning. I was thinking of that again this morning and I thought, it makes no sense why we always give the praise on a birthday to the person that was born that day. And I thought, that's what Mother's Day is about. Mother's Day is at least a day that we can pause to say thank you to all of our mothers uh, for the many things that they've done. And of course, we know that really we owe that to them every day. I'm reminded of Romans, the 13th chapter. I want to read to you just a couple of verses before we get into our lesson this morning. Romans, the 13th chapter. He says, beginning at verse 7, Render therefore to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Owe no one anything except to love one another, and for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. Definitely, every day, we owe it to our mothers to love them. And let's make sure that if we haven't done that recently as we should, let's amend that today and let's be what we should be. And let's make sure that our mothers know that we love and appreciate them and give them that honor today. As we begin this lesson this morning, we want to pause for a brief introduction of motherhood. Some of the pictures that we're about to see are of mothers, uh, perhaps for the first time, and others are of mothers uh, that have just given birth sometime in the last year.
to each of our mothers again. We honor you, and we hope your day is everything that you hoped it would be. But more importantly, we hope that your life will be an honor to God. This morning, we'll have a little bit different spin on the idea of women, and it's not just a focus on motherhood. But this morning, we'll begin a series that will begin this morning, continue next week, and finalize the third week. As you know, last week was family day. Before family day, I asked Bud Lambert if he would visit with me for a little while and brainstorm with me some things, some traits, some principles that every member of the family ought to instill in their own lives if they are to be the family member that they ought to be. And he began talking, and as we visited, I said, wait a minute, Bud, this is too good not to jot down. And I grabbed a pad, and I started writing as quickly as he could talk. Many of the things that we talked about are things also that he discussed with you last week in this adult auditorium Bible class. And what we'll do this week is we'll look at womanhood, looking at three basic principles that any woman would have in her life if, in fact, she has healthy relationships with God, with her family, with others, with her church family, etc. Next week, we'll look at the same three principles, and we'll see those in the lives of a man. And if men have healthy relationships with God, with their family, and with their church family, and with others, they're going to have these things in their lives. And then finally, we'll look at it also from the aspect of youth and what youth should have in their lives and their relationships with others. As we considered these things, I asked Bud, I said, what passage comes to your mind as you think about these principles in your daily ministry of counseling individuals? And he said, I love the book of Ephesians. And he said, as a matter of fact, I love Ephesians, the fourth chapter. And he said, beginning at verse about 17, but especially verse 20 and forward. Now, you remember that our series that we're running throughout the year from time to time on immorality, this is the very same paragraph that we read from this morning, if you remember and noted that. We have been studying from Ephesians, the fourth chapter, looking at the negative side, that of immorality, from verse 17 to 19. And so for three weeks, we'll look at the positive side of that. In other words... Here we have on the negative side, if someone's mind is futile, if it's not what it ought to be, if it's like the Gentiles, in other words, if it's like the heathens, that is taking this spiral down where they have moved away from God, this is the way it happens, verse 17 through 19. But then, if that's not the case, and someone has a right relationship with God, and they have a right relationship with other people, beginning in verse 20, he says, these are the changes that they made in their life, and this is the result. They have positive relationships with God and with other people. And so we'll strive to study those this morning. Now, let me give a brief introduction, and I almost feel like I have to clarify the introduction itself. We struggle in America of identifying womanhood on a consistent basis. If you'll think with me for just a moment, if we went back and we defined what was it to be a woman in the turn of the century, we said define a good woman in the turn of the century. Then we said, okay, during uh, World War I and World War II, define what it is to be a good woman. Define her daily activity. Define her life. Define her virtues and her character. Then if we jumped up to the 60s and the 70s and said, define a, a, a godly woman or, or even just, quote, a good woman. And now here we are in the 80s and the 90s and bumping into the 2000s now. Define that. You'd realize it's almost like licking your finger and putting it into the wind to say, well, the only way we can define that is to see how the wind's blowing today. Now, not for godly women. Godly women have a different compass. They have a different standard. But if we're talking about in womanhood in general, 
I have to confess to you that one of the things as I studied this week in preparing for this lesson that I never could get a handle on. I don't know the way the world perceives womanhood, at least in the last hundred years of America's history, that it has ever had one moment of consistency. It'd be like trying to hit a moving target. And I'm just saying, as I studied that, it became a thought of mine. Is it frustrating? Can you imagine how frustrated women might be today in America because they spend their teenage years and their young 20s thinking about the woman that they want to become based upon the world standards, and by the time they reach 30 or 40 and they ought to be really achieving that, somebody's changed all the standards. Now what they've striven to be, the next generation says, that's not womanhood at all. Let me give you just a few examples. Uh, the magazine, uh, the, the, the magazine, New Man, it's the last issue of New Man magazine, gave some insight on role reversal. Let me give you just a few examples here. In 1932, Tarzan and the Ape Man, the jungle was there and Tarzan was there to protect Jane. In 2003, the same story is told, but this time Jane is protecting Tarzan in the jungle. You see, it's just a role reversal here. G.I. Joe was a cartoon that proved that he could be a formidable odds against any enemy, but yet in 1997, G.I. Jane proved that she could be the formidable odds against any enemy. In NBC 1984, uh, The Cosby Show was a show that reinforced traditional values and the way in which the woman was described in, in that show, and we could drop back just a few uh, a generation earlier and we could talk about Leave it to Beaver. But, but you get the idea. In other words, traditional values were upheld and we see a description and a role of womanhood there. But yet if we came to NBC in 2004 and we took, for example, a, movie, uh, a show like Will and Grace, you're not going to see traditional values upheld. You're going to see them undermined in almost every episode. And then finally, Barbie and Ken, they had a close relationship for a few decades. But now the announcement was made just this year that Barbie would be leaving Ken. And is that somewhat a look for an equal rights movement which some things needed to be brought to a greater equality? But isn't it interesting that as our society has brought things to a greater equality and not all has been positive about it, that now that there's more of an equality, now there's also an independence. And now it's more of, in the world today, a woman saying, how can I live without Him instead of how can I live with Him? I just offer you that to say, production. there's confusion out there in America as to what is womanhood. And so let's look into the Scriptures. In Ephesians, the fourth chapter, our text that was so capably read for us, we see much about relationships here. Number one, we learn responsibility. In five verses here, the word you or your is used six times. In other words, God wanted to make sure that everyone knew that each individual has a responsibility. Every woman is responsible for her choices. Bud Lambert's statement that he will use on a daily basis in his counseling is this. We are where we are in life because of the choices that we have made. We choose what to think when someone does something or doesn't do something. We choose how to react when someone does something. We choose how to feel about what someone has done. 
Now that takes a big person to say, I am responsible for my actions in a world and a society around us that always blames everyone else. Everyone else is responsible for their actions. How many women today in America would blame their situation upon their husband, upon their kids, upon their workplace, upon whatever it is to say, I'm not who I ought to be today? And the reason is because... How many are to say, I am who I am today because of me? We have many godly mothers in this audience that have taken responsibility for their actions. Now, this idea of responsibility, when we see the you or the your used six times in this one half of a paragraph, it's interesting the way it's used. It breaks down very easily into three things. Let's notice on this slide. Number one, he says, you learn. Number two, he says, you change. And number three, he says, you renew. Now, let's think about this for just a moment. Let's go back and read verse 20 and 21 again. This is Ephesians, the fourth chapter, 20 and 21. Listen for the word you and think about what we are to learn. He says, beginning in verse 20, but you have not so learned Christ. Now, the reason this is written in a negative is because he's just talked about in this paragraph the spiral down. These people are at the very pit of immorality. And he says, I can tell you why you're living a life of immorality. He says, it's because you have not learned Christ. And then secondly, in 21, he says, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus Christ. Number one, you learn the living. How many times have you been in a class and at the beginning of the year, you didn't understand how the teacher gave notes, you didn't understand how they tested, but yet by the end of the year, you say, I've learned this teacher. You know which notes to take, you know which things they're going to put on a test. How many times have... Uh, you kept a child, someone else's child, and the first time you keep that child, they wear you out. And then you keep that child after a little while, and you know what you say? Oh, I've learned this child. You know, just when the child, you can tell what they're thinking. You say, oh, stop that. Why? You've learned them. Well, what are we supposed to do with Jesus? We're to have a relationship that is alive with Jesus. Why? Jesus is alive. He is alive, and because He is alive, we should be alive spiritually. In other words, we should learn Jesus. We should take upon ourselves the nature of Jesus, and we'll study about that in just a few moments. But the bottom line is, we are responsible for whether or not we have learned Jesus. We can't go through our life blaming other people and saying, well, you know, I'm just too busy to learn Jesus. You know, I, I just never have had the opportunity to learn Jesus. I need to stop and say, the buck stops here. I'm responsible for myself. It's my decision as to whether or not I stop. And as verse 21 says, I hear Him. We hear God through studying the Word. Am I going to stop and hear God? Am I going to be taught by God and of God? As we think about turn with me if you would to 1 Timothy, the third chapter. Hold your finger here in Ephesians. We'll come right back. 1 Timothy, the third chapter. Here is a young man, probably a young adult by now, but it's interesting as Paul writes to the young man Timothy, he speaks back to some things that happened in his childhood. Now notice what happened in his childhood. Paul is talking about what happened in Timothy's childhood. We're in 2 Timothy, the third chapter. 2 Timothy, the third chapter, verse 15. And that from childhood, you have known the Holy Scriptures. Can that be said of your children, mothers? From childhood, you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. A mother says, I want my children to be wise. I want my children to have faith in Christ Jesus. I want them to be saved. Isn't it interesting 
that he didn't say, you took them to a Bible class. You took them to summer camp. Paul says to Timothy, you learned the Scriptures. Young man, that's how, that's how you are where you are spiritually today. You learned the Scriptures. And we say, okay, I want to know how did he learn the Scriptures. Let's go back a page or two. Let's go back to the first chapter in verse 5. Here is a young man that learned the Scriptures, and because of it, he had the faith that he ought to have. He was wise as he ought to be, and he was saved. How did he learn the Scriptures? First Timothy, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy, the first chapter, verse 5. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, I am persuaded it's in you also. What is being implied here is the fact that these generations were teaching the generation below them within their families. Here's a grandmother that no doubt impacted the life of her grandson by teaching him the Scriptures when he was young. Grandmothers, when's the last time you've talked with your grandchild about a passage with an open Bible and reading the passage. My fear is in our families and even in our Bible classes, we talk too often about passages and not learn the passages themselves. Timothy did not learn about the Holy Scriptures. Timothy learned the Scriptures. Grandmother? Mother? What did you teach him? We taught him these scriptures. There's going to have to be an open Bible in the lives of women if they are to learn Christ. I can tell you briefly about a time that I saw an open Bible in my mother's lap, and it would be the time that I wish I wouldn't have. But many times I've seen an open Bible in my mother's lap. And it's made all the difference in our family. Now, one particular night, I didn't come home for curfew. It only happened that once, trust me. And when I finally did come in for curfew, quite late, there was a misunderstanding. Met by my father 10 miles away from home, out searching. When I did arrive home, I opened the door, the chair on the other side of the room that faced the door had my mother sitting there with tears coming down her face and an open Bible in her lap. And the worst thing is, she didn't scold me that night. I had to wait till the next morning to deal with it. But you know, in Ephesians 4, when he speaks of the pit of immorality. And he says, I can tell you how you got to that pit of immorality. He says, you haven't learned Christ. You haven't heard Him and been taught by Him. I need to realize that the only solution to that is saying, I'm responsible. If I don't know the Scriptures, there's only one that can be responsible. I'm responsible for that. And I need to learn those Scriptures. Now, as we go back to Ephesians, the fourth chapter, we also see a second thing that he said in the you and the your. And that is in verse 22. He talked about a change. 
Now, let's be honest, if we're just talking about the illustration that he gives here, because in verse 22 he says that you put off, and if you'll notice in verse 24 he says that you put on. In other words, the idea is you put off the old man, the old person that's sinful, and you put on the new person. And what's interesting about these phrases, put off and put on, almost every scholar will make reference to the fact. They'll say, this is the same words that we would use to take off a, a coat or to take off an item of clothing and to put on another item of clothing. Now think about it. That ought to be easier for women than it is for men, right? Okay, you didn't think as humorous as I did. Uh, you know, I think, about, I think about raising children and Colton would have wore the same clothes for two weeks. He would have never changed clothes unless you made him. And you know, you raise a little girl and from the time she can even crawl, she's already changing clothes four, five, six times a day. They're just laying all up and down the hallway from where she changed last time. Well, here as we think about womanhood, we have to realize that women are responsible to change. There's no way around it. Men are too. Everybody's responsible for their own change. And we say, well, what is the change supposed to be? Please have your Bible open for this. Ephesians 4, work together through verse 22. That you put off concerning your former conduct, the old person, the old man, the old person which grows corrupt according to deceitful lust. Now, when we think of the things to change, we realize that what has to be changed are the things that causes us to grow corrupt. To grow corrupt comes from one Greek word. It's the idea to ruin, to spoil. You set up a beautiful picnic out in Charlie Daniels Park and everything is just right and then a flash flood comes and you say, that rain ruined our picnic. In other words, we had plans today, but now they're ruined. God has a plan for you and I to become His child and to be servants of Him. And whenever we allow things to take us off that track and to place our life in another conduct, another mode of living, we have ruined the plans that God has given us. And that's why He says, grows corrupt. Now notice He says, grows corrupt to what? According to deceitful lust. And here's where Satan becomes crafty. You see, Satan not only tells us a lie, but he closed it in something that makes it look like truth. And that's why it's called deception, deceitful. And so here's a woman that says, well, I want to serve God. And Satan comes along and says, let me hide this lie in a way that it looks like this person could serve God. And then we have to decide, which is which? Is this really God's will in my life or is this God's will in my life? If I follow the wrong thing through that deceitfulness, even though I might have done it with a pure motive, the bottom line is it ruins my life. It spoils my life. And then this deceitfulness is that He is deceiving us, trying to get us to follow a life that fulfills our desires. Now, and our top priority. We'll discuss that in So, to what I am to become. In other words, we take off something, but we have to put something on. What do we put on? When we look at verse 23 and 24, notice we renewed the spirit of the mind. Verse 24, that you put on the new man. And as we learn Christ, we take off the things that are against us and we put on the ways of God. What does this do? This makes us responsible. We are accountable. God is holding us responsible to learn Him so that we can know the difference in right and wrong, so we can see through the deceitfulness. What kind of mother does He want you to be? 
What kind of wife does he want you to be? What kind of woman in his church family does he want you to be? We can only see those things when we learn Christ and we can see through the deception so that we can put on the new creation that God wants us to have. Now, as we think about all of this, let's tie it back to a second thing. Number one, we have to be responsible. Number two, we have to be faithful. Let's look at this slide here. Faithfulness. Choices are made based upon what we believe. We state that again. Choices in our life are made based upon what we believe. What if you believe a lie? That's the whole problem. That's the whole idea of spiritual growth is replacing misbeliefs with truth. So Satan in John 8 and 44, we learn that he is the father of all lies. In him is no truth. So Satan is the one that's going to lead us to lies. Jesus Christ is the one that's going to lead us to truth. Spiritual growth is taking the misbeliefs in our life and finding truth in our life. What could some of those be? As we go to Ephesians, the fourth chapter, in verse 22 and 23, we've already talked about the fact that we have to put off the things that causes us to grow corrupt. What are misbeliefs that could cause us to grow corrupt? This is only a drop in the bucket. There's four on the screen uh, we will not be able to mention all four of those, but let, let's just mention one or two. The first one is that the priority in our life is happiness. Do you believe that? That's a misbelief that comes from Satan. And it's a misbelief that just makes our life miserable. How many of you have said, my goal today is Saturday, and, and I just want to be happy today. I want to have the best day that I can have. And by the time you lay down at night, you're worn out try my best to find happiness today, and I never found it. Why? You don't find happiness that way. Happiness is a result of good things. Happiness is the result of holiness. Title right along this misbelief is the idea that a woman thinks the responsibility in my life as the wife and as the mother is to make everyone happy. You know, the nurturing aspect in a woman, sometimes she even believes my responsibility at the office place is to make sure that everybody's happy. My responsibility on our street is to be that happy person that goes around making everybody happy. Now, if you believe that's your responsibility, here's the question. What are you going to do when people aren't happy? You're miserable. Why? It's a misbelief. There's nowhere in the Scriptures that says the role of a woman is to make people happy. Let me give you an illustration here. This was written in uh, to the home site of MSN Family on the web. This was a question that was sent in just a few days ago. My daughter wants to wear this outrageous belly-bearing prom dress that screams, and I won't say what she says it screams. What do I do? Isn't that interesting? Why do you think this mother is having problems dealing with this? I can tell you why. Her goal in life is to make her daughter happy. Right? That's her goal. That's why she's having to write an outside source to say, I've got a real problem. What my daughter wants to do violates my conscience, violates what I believe is best, but I don't know how to handle this and my daughter still be happy. That's what she's saying. Well, notice this professional answer. No doubt about it, today's dresses are definitely on that side. Most girls are inspired by celebrity looks that don't leave much to the imagination. Still, if you really are bothered by her dress, what a wonderful answer here. Check the school's dress code. Some have rules that actually prohibit belly-bearing dresses so that you may be in luck. If the dress code allows for it, reach a compromise by asking your daughter to wear a cover-up or a shawl along the way as she goes to and from this occasion. 
That's the state of our society. How are you going to be a woman today? According to our society, make everybody happy. Well, what if my daughter wants to do something that's wrong? Make her happy. I want to challenge every woman here this morning. Have no problem with your child getting angry at you when you stand for righteousness. Don't have a problem with it. It's no big deal. Because the greatest goal that we can have in our life is holiness. You see, the misbelief is my responsibility is to make my family happy. No, no, no. Every woman's responsibility is to have a holy family. Every decision is made based upon holiness. Will mothers have to say no when the child really wants yes? Absolutely. Will they have to say no when the child be mad at them for days? Absolutely. Why would I want to do that? Because holiness is a greater priority than happiness. Seeking God's will in our life is a much greater priority than happiness. Even in our own lives. What decisions do we make? Holiness is a much higher priority than happiness. And what's interesting, if you take a lady that has striven for holiness all through her life on her own standard as well as she applies it to her family, and then at the end of life you talk to her about her happiness. Then you take someone over here that dealt with herself and with her family always trying to find happiness. You find out which one at the end when it's all over really found a life of happiness. It's no doubt. Peace that passes understanding, that offers deep, genuine joy and happiness comes from seeking the holiness of God. Let's move on as we close this lesson. The third thing that we see is humility. Humility is necessary to become a Christian. As I was visiting with Bud, this is probably one of the most memorable moments of that visit. He said, you know, when I'm counseling with someone... I can't help an arrogant person. And he kind of chuckled. He said, God can't even help an arrogant person. You know, God resists the proud and gives grace. In other words, He gives gifts to the humble. And so I need to realize that not only am I responsible and that it's my responsibility to be faithful, but I need to realize that I need to come to God in full submission total humility that I can't help anybody in my family. I can't help myself. I can't help others if I don't come to God in full humility. God is not asking us to make adjustments in our nature, to make changes within our nature. God is asking us to change our nature completely. That's why He says here in verse 24 that you put on the new person which was created according to God in true righteousness. This morning, will you think with me for just a moment, women? You're a juggler. And you're doing a pretty good job. You've got this hobby over here that you love. Scrapbooking. Oh, man. And you like to keep your looks... You exercise and, and you take 30 minutes or an hour and a half a day making sure that your makeup's right and your hair and then there's kids. And this one has to go here and this one here and 
they have to be trained spiritually and you have to discipline them. And then there's a husband. Maybe there's grandkids. And there are more and more balls that you're juggling here. And then there's a spouse. And then there's a job over here that, that you're also juggling. It takes a lot of hours. And then there's, there's the work at church. There's teaching that class. Which one of those are made of crystal? Which one of them are fine glass that if you drop them, they don't just bounce right back up? But maybe some of the other ones, if you drop them right now, you can get back to them next year. You can get back to them five years from now. You can get back to those when you have more time. Your relationship with God can't drop that one. Your husband, you just can't drop that one. Your children, you can't drop that one. You can pick up another hobby later. You can even pick up another job later. Even if you need to, and don't take this the wrong way, but you can even pick up some friends later. There's some you just can't draw. What do we do? We don't see which way the wind's blowing according to the world because it's going to change in the next 10 years. We go back and say, God, how can I grow spiritually for you? He says, be responsible for your actions. It's up to you to learn me, to change, and to put me on. Be faithful in it. Don't believe the misbeliefs of Satan. Holiness is the highest priority. And do it in total humility. Don't just try to make little changes in your life. That'll make you miserable. Make a total change. Say to God, today I give you my whole life. And that makes all the difference. If you've never done that, If you've never fully submitted yourself to God, the greatest blessing is yet to be in your life. If you're willing to repent of sins and confess before man that Jesus is the Son of God and be baptized into Christ for the remission of sins, you can come out of that water ready to live as the new creature that God has just created you to be. Maybe you have become a Christian and somewhere along the way mistakes have been made, you've dropped a ball that just shouldn't have been dropped, Isn't it wonderful that the Lord says, I can help you put things back together again. I can help you get them back in place. I can help you get back on the right track. God is the only one that can help us do that. If you need to confess sin and pray forgiveness, if we can help you in any way, come as we stand and as we sing.